the Bible, man, it, it's a difficult book. It's hard. Um, one of the things I think that, one of the problems I think that we have with the Bible, um, and there's a lot of things that make the Bible difficult, but one of the things that, that we struggle with when it comes to the Bible, I'm convinced, is that we read it too fast. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to our gospel reading, John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I was saying one of the problems we have is we read it too fast. And, and this morning's passage is a very good example of that. So listen to this again. John chapter 10, verses 11. I, Jesus is talking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Really? I don't think so. I think it's a fool that dies for an animal. I mean, think about this. Uh, Kim and Indy Hewavita, many of you know them. Um, many of you know that they've fallen away from the Lord. They used to live downtown, and they moved out to the country. And um, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> you people. Uh, they moved out to the country, and they got this farm. And Kim was with Janelle and I yesterday, and she was telling us these amazing stories about these adventures they're having with their farm animals. They, they got a new dog who thinks that chicken is a meal. And um, so Kim was talking about being in the pen with the dog and training the dog to not eat the chicken and how intense of an experience it was for the chickens. And um, I mean, so just think about this for a minute. Uh, what if it wasn't um, their new dog? But what if instead it was a pack of wolves? And what if Indy, Kim's husband, husband of Kim, father of Cedar and Rohan and Neela and Zara. What if one night they hear the wolves and Indy looks at Kim and says, Kim, I'm going to save the chickens. Now the wolves are going to kill me, but I'm going to save the chickens. Now do you think in that moment Kim would say, good Indy, great. No, she would say, you're an idiot. The chickens aren't worth you. We can't lose you. You're my husband, right? That, that would be terrible. Why in the world does Jesus say that a human shepherd dying for sheep is good? It is nonsensical to say that. I mean, if that's anything other than a Hallmark movie sentimentalism, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. Chickens are not as valuable as humans. Sheep are more valuable than chickens, and sheep are not as valuable as humans. The only way in the world that this makes any sense is if the sheep are a metaphor for humans. Now, if the sheep are a metaphor for humans, and you and I know that they are in this story, that's what makes it not a ridiculous thing to say. Now, that's different. Because humans are different than everything else in this universe. What makes humans different is that human beings are made in the image of God. And that makes the difference. That alone. So whether we're talking about a human that's in the womb. Or a human that is on life support. Human life is sacred. 
every single human life. Whatever your proclivities, whatever your strengths or your weaknesses, every human life, whether we're talking about a a rich and powerful person who is important to many people, or we're talking about someone who is disabled and incapacitated in the womb or in the hospital bed, gifted and talented or in special ed, intellectually gifted or intellectually disabled, every single human life is uniquely valuable and worthy of dignity and honor and protection. The only way that Jesus' statement makes sense is if he is talking about dying for humans. But even then, it's so fantastic that we write songs about this kind of stuff, right? I mean, this is what inspires our greatest stories, our our greatest um, music, our greatest poems, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Now, here's another interesting thing. Jesus isn't just using a a metaphor here for sheep in general. He's talking about particular sheep. Sheep who he knows their name. And they know his voice. He is talking about Mary and Martha and Lazarus and John the beloved disciple. He's talking about his friends, his real, actual friends. Just a few pages to the right, in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus is talking to his friends. Not crowds and gobs and masses of people, but actual friends of his. People who know what he's like. They know what his walk is like. They know what his breath smells like. They know what kind of jokes he tells. They know his temperament and personality. And he says this, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And he's not talking to the world in general. He's talking to a group of particular people who are his particular actual friends. So back to our passage, John chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus is talking about Mary and Martha and Lazarus and John the beloved when he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. They heard him saying, I'm going to die for you, for you in particular. He's telling his friends in advance how to understand what's about to happen to him. That's verse 18. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. In other words, listen guys, it's going to look like the Roman soldiers take my life. It's going to look like the corrupt Jewish religious system takes my life. But you need to know I'm doing this for you. It's going to feel to you like one more act of injustice. But you should know it's me for you. It's a pure act of love. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn a few pages to the right and find chapter 19, right to almost the end of John's gospel. John chapter 19, verse 26. Here's Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. That's a remarkable thing, right? A human being nailed up to wood. Like, it's... Notice what it says. 
when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby. <laughs> that's, that's a striking thing, right? So, someone writhing in agony, a human being. And he looks, right, through the crowd. And he finds his two, the two people that he's closest to. His mother and his very best friend. He looks at them and he says, it's just mind-boggling. Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple whom he loved, behold your mother. What's going on here? I mean, see this in your imagination. Here is Jesus in excruciating pain. He sees these two people most dear to him. And at this moment, writhing in agony, he gives loving attention to them. He provides for their life without him. He asks them to each love the other in his place. John, be a son to my mother. Mom, Be a friend to my friend. Do you see what he's doing on the cross? He's in his death. He's being a friend. He's dying in relationship to his friends. He loved them. He died for them. And we see this all through John's gospel. All through it, this issue of friendship just keeps coming up. We see it in an extraordinary way when we look at one of his other close friends, Mary Magdalene. In the next chapter, in John chapter 20, when the resurrected Jesus meets Mary Magdalene in the garden, it's, it's a reunion of friends. I mean, when I came out of the hospital and I got to meet friends, we were right in the midst of the pandemic. People were staying away from each other, but we thought that I was in some way, you know, a little bit safe because I'd already dealt with the virus. And I can't tell you how many of you people came over on my porch and we hugged, right? This is, that's what's going on in the garden. It's this reunion of friends. And when he meets all alone with Mary in the garden, he's reuniting with one of the only four people stood by him to the end. There were only four of his friends there at the end. And here is one of them. And when he meets her after his resurrection, if you ever read this passage, it's so beautiful. It's so tender. And like the sheep in the parable that he tells, when he says her name, that's when Mary recognizes him. It's friends. She knows him personally. She can remember what it was like when he said her name. We sometimes think of God as austere and unchangeable and and so somewhat removed. And it can be surprising to think of, of this great and seemingly distant God in such a personal way, personally interested in particular people out of this whole huge world. And what we're doing now is we're gazing into a mystery. You see, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I lay my life down for the sheep, we should stop and say, that's ridiculous. No animal is worth a life. It's ridiculous that God 
would die for me. And we should gaze on this mystery. This mystery that shows us God more warm and more personal than we normally think of him. There are other parts of the Bible that talk about Jesus' death in different ways. But in this passage, it's an act of care, an act of love. In the words of John Calvin, our salvation is dearer to Jesus than his own life. You see, the cross is not merely a cruel fate visited on Jesus by a hostile and calloused world. That's what the word good means in this passage. It means beautiful. He died for me. How beautiful is that? Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus went on to say, not only you people, not only my closest friends am I dying for you, but he says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that are not in my friend set right now. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock. Do you know who he's talking about? He, that's right. He's talking about Heather and Jeremy. He's talking about Eric and Molly. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He sees you. He knows you. And so what we're supposed to do with a passage like this where it's crazy talk is we're supposed to stare at it and gaze into this wonderful mystery. And again, in the words of Calvin, we are to look at the cross. We're to look at Jesus on the cross there, voluntarily dying for you. We're to look at him full into his face on the cross and we should do it until it ravishes our souls into admiration. That God would die for me. And that is as crazy as a human dying for an animal. So think about Mary in the garden. Jesus standing there. Can you imagine as it all sinks in that he did that for me and then he says her name? And out of all this world, he didn't go straight from his death to some cosmic throne, but he meets her, her, actually meets her in the garden and says her name. This is so important. In that moment, here is Jesus. His love for her has not been extinguished by death. His love for her has proven stronger than death. Now, there's a catch there. Because there's a way in which we, we would think about that, that that diminishes what Jesus actually did on the cross. Many people throughout history have died for friends. This happens. This has happened. And we've written stories about it. And we've watched movies about it. And we've sung songs about it and, and, and written poems about it. And it makes us weep and it inspires us. And it, it's just incredible. I'm thinking in particular of the, of the incredible film by the Italian director Roberto Benigni, Life is Beautiful. If you haven't seen it, oh my goodness. Whenever a person lays down for his life for a friend, there is always a sense in which love is stronger than death. In which my love for that person I die for makes me 
go to death for them. Like I, death won't even stop me from put a limit on my love for them. But that is not what's going on with Jesus here. I mean, that's, that's the patio, that's the front porch, but that is not the whole thing in the gospel. Jesus' love does more than just give him courage to die for somebody because he was resurrected. He didn't simply pass through death like a gateway into immortality. He canceled death. He nullified death. Jesus died and then rose again, leaving death behind. He actually goes on loving his friends beyond death, beyond the end. And in fact, the end becomes the beginning. Jesus' death wasn't merely a model of love, an act of love, a lesson in love. No, Jesus gave himself to death on the cross in order to give to his friends eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is our Old Testament reading. The Israelites in the wilderness dying of snake bite and if they would just look at the snake raised up on the pole, here we are wandering in the wilderness dying of snake bites. Our own wicked passions, our own selfish habits, our anger, our self-centeredness, our materialism, our lust, our greed. And if we would just look to Christ raised up on that pole, we will gain life. Five times in our gospel passage. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. Five times Jesus repeats the some version of the statement, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, how do you feel when somebody says something five times in a row? What is Jesus doing? He's saying, stop listening so fast. Slow down. It's nonsensical. Think about what I'm saying. Because his death on the cross, out of his great love for his friends, in order to save them, in order to save you and me from our sins and to restore us to a relationship with the Father and to give us everlasting life. His death on the cross is the single most defining characteristic of who he is. Meditating on Jesus' death on the cross is the single most helpful way for you to know God better. For you to know his love for you. And for this world, this is how I first responded to Jesus. I grew up in a church that was so faithful to hold the cross in front of me, to shove it into my face every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. And they kept holding it in front of me. Until I realized Jesus died for me. And it was the sheer attractiveness, the beauty of this shepherd that won my heart and my loyalty. For those of you who struggle to believe, to know that Jesus is real and that what we're doing here this morning is not some group think endeavor, some big sham. The single greatest thing about Jesus, 
The greatest way to really know who Jesus is, who God is, is to meditate on his death on the cross until you see him looking at you, until you hear his voice and you see his face turned toward you and personally his love for you and you realize he died for you just like he died for his friends. You see, if Jesus couldn't really die for real friends in real time, then this love for the world is some abstract and cold thing floating around out there in the cosmos. But the fact that a real Jesus really died for real sins sends shockwaves through the universe. He died for real friends. He died for you. So look on him until you realize He died for you and wants to know you and wants you to hear him and love him and serve him. John chapter 10 verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. And look, for those of you who love people who don't love Jesus, there is hope here. They will hear my voice. There will be one flock under one shepherd. Look at Jesus on the cross. This is the extraordinary links. God is gone out of his love for you. So let's do that. 